Well, good morning, and Cole, thank you so much for the invitation to come and preach. And uh, church, you know you have a real gift here with Cole and his family. So uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I am delighted to open God's Word, and I'll talk a little bit about uh, where we're going to be and what we're going to do. But I do want to bring it to our attention that we do live in uncertain times, don't we? When you look at today's world and some of the things that uh, I'm at, some of the, our, our, your students here, I've got two of my four children here. I can't call my older two children anymore. One's a sophomore at OU and one's about to go off to college. And then my, uh, <laughs> my 14-year-old going on, you know, 44 is sitting right here, as is my 13-year-old about to be 14. So, uh, you know, we have... No, 12-year-old about to be 13. I can get it all straight. But I think about, uh, you know, our, our kids. I think about our world today. And we really do live on uncertain times. It's, uh, it seems like now there is a, uh, it's, it's a kind of time where world powers are, are, are on the move. Um, I'm thinking about two of our students or three of our students right now as part of their degree program are, um, they've been in Poland for the past three months, and what they're doing is serving Ukrainian refugees. And why are they there? Because they're refugees. Um, They're living in a time where the world powers are on the move. And, uh, you know, it's hard to think that way, but this is reality. Uh, Our world is constantly in flux. Our world is on the change. And so what is going to be lasting what kind of world are we going to be living in? Uh, you remember Napoleon Bonaparte, right? The little general. Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, this is what he said. And if you don't know who he was, he was a major world figure from France. And uh, this was, you know, two centuries ago. But he changed the world. He changed the face of the world. And listen to what he said about his own conquest, his own leadership, his own uh, leadership of France as they kind of marched across Europe. He says this. He said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? His answer, upon force. And when I look across our world today, our worlds are built on force, on power. But then he very astutely contrasted his leadership against another power. Listen to what he says. While we built our empires upon force, listen to this, Jesus Christ founded an empire, but his empire was founded on love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him, an empire of love. If you're following someone It's easy to follow people who build their empires on force, on power. Boy, it's a harder thing to do to follow someone whose empire is built on love. Why? Because people who build their empires on force 
on power, boy, it, 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 it just the, the sheer magnitude of what they accomplish is breathtaking. They've got big buildings and fanfare. People follow them in droves. They have everything that you could ever want, or so it seems. But Bonaparte saw something that we all need to see today. What does it mean to follow someone who builds their world on love? That's Jesus. Well, today we're going to catch a glimpse of what it means to follow Jesus. Why today millions of people aren't just willing to die. They're giving their lives for him all across the world, in the global south in the majority world, and yes, even here in the Western world, people are willing to risk much because they believe when they risk much, they gain so much more in following Jesus. Jesus is the king of love. Now, many of us in this room probably are looking for, for love, but it's like the old Dolly Parton song, right? <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. Where do we find an empire of love? Well, we look to Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 10. And I want you to hear with me Jesus' own teaching on who he is and what he's about and why it's worth it to follow him. Why this empire of love is worth it. So look at John chapter 10. I'm going to begin in verse 11. This is what Jesus said. He said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. Verse 14, I, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. You just notice he said that twice. Did you see that? He said it in verse 11. He repeats it here in verse 14. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. He's talking to Jews right now. So he's talking about uh, probably many of us in this room who don't come from Jewish lineage. He's talking about people who are of the nations, Gentiles is how they're described in the New Testament. He's talking about those sheep who are non-Jewish in lineage who are incorporated into the family of God through the life of Christ. He says, I have other sheep that are not from this, that is the Jewish sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they'll listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. So in this time that we have, I just want to offer three reflections from this passage of Scripture about Jesus, who is the Good Shepherd, who creates this empire of love. First reflection is basic, but something we need to hear. If you're looking at Jesus, we got to understand that he reminds us that the good shepherd is good. Now, let me unpack this a little bit. He doesn't say, I'm an okay shepherd. 
I'm a mediocre shepherd. I'm a uh, generally fine shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. Now, why does he say this? Well, what you need to understand is that Jesus is saying something that actually resonates with his hearers. The idea of God being a shepherd or the Davidic king being a shepherd, these are common ideas because uh, you need to know I'm an Old Testament professor by training. So what I'm about to tell you is all Old Testament. See, the New Testament uh, doesn't, uh, it's not novel. It doesn't just make up a bunch of stuff like uh, out of thin air. It's uh, riffing on all of the Old Testament ideas, concepts, promises, teaching that we have already. And so what Jesus is doing when he says, I am the good shepherd, he's not just making that up like, oh, well, there's a sheep over there, and there's a shepherd, and uh, maybe I'll just use that. No, no. He's drawing on Old Testament imagery, Old Testament teaching. This idea of the good shepherd, it comes from, for instance, the Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel 64, or Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 37, Psalm 23. You know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. So this idea of God being the shepherd is Waterford crystal clear. Everybody understands that. But you know in Isaiah 40 and Psalm 80 and uh, a number of other places, it's not just God who's described as the shepherd. King David is described as the shepherd. So what Jesus is doing when he's saying already in the, in the gospel of Matthew, when he says, I am the good shepherd, he's drawing on these two concepts. God is our shepherd, the Davidic king is our shepherd, and he's smashing them together. And he's saying, I am the Davidic king, God, who is the shepherd of the flock. And I'm not just the shepherd of this flock, the Jews. I've got a, I've got a flock that you don't even know. I've got to bring them in too. My friends, if you gave your life to Jesus... And you are not of Jewish descent. He's talking about you and me right there. But what we need to understand is the good shepherd is good. God is the shepherd of Israel who cares for his people. He provides for his people. All these Old Testament texts talking about God as shepherd. It's the idea that God cares for his people. He's not authoritarian that puts their foot or his boot on their neck. God provides. He forgives. He restores. He takes care. God is good. And the Davidic king, as God created the Davidic lineage, the Davidic king was supposed to be good as well. So what God is doing, and what Jesus is doing here is in John 10, 11, and 14, he's drawing on this imagery, and he's saying, I'm the one you're looking for. What does this mean, that Jesus is good? Well, it means that Jesus alone is the true shepherd that we're looking for. Now, we can be uh, people who kind of determine our own lives. There are a lot of gifted people in this room, there's no doubt about it. But you know, the weight of our lives is too heavy to bear on our own. We need a shepherd to guide us, to lead us, to help us, to direct us, 
We need the one who made us and knows us better than we know ourselves. Knows our beginning, knows our end. We need direction from him so that we can make our way to the world, through the world. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying that I can lead you because I made you. I know you. I know your end from your beginning. This means that Jesus is saying that he is the ultimate leader of our lives. And notice he is good. I just keep saying this. He is good. Religion today often has a bad reputation. How can anything Christian be good? I mean, have you read the news stories? But my friends, all the things that build themselves around the name of Jesus, doesn't, they don't always reflect beautifully who Jesus is. So if you've got issues with religion, join the club. I'm a pastor's kid. When it comes to religion and church, I've got baggage that I carry with me. Right? I've seen the, the, the beautiful side of the church. I've seen the brutal side of the church. When I think about church, it really is brutal. I mean, it is. So I've got baggage. And it would be easy for me to say, oh, that church, bunch of hypocrites. It's awful. I've got, yeah. But then I'm reminded of what Jesus says here. I'm the good shepherd. I can follow a good shepherd. Right? I can follow Jesus. He is good. He's morally righteous. He is right. He is kind. He is just. He is good. We can build our lives on him. Another way to say this, you and I can trust Jesus. Now, students in the room, I need you to hear me on this. You can't trust your social media profile. You can't trust uh, everybody's going to always um, lead you in the right direction. You can't trust you're never going to be let down. You are going to be let down. You are going to have people that fail you. Why? Because they're people and they're not God. But you can trust Jesus. You can trust your life. And you can trust your death to Jesus. He's the good shepherd. Notice that in this text, uh, Jesus contrasts himself with others. Uh, he, he, he talks about wolves and real danger, doesn't he, in verse 12. He talks about the hired hand and the wolves. And I want to talk about the wolves for just a minute. Why does Jesus mention wolves? I'll tell you why. Because there's real danger in our world today. Some of us might think, well, my goodness, the world is my oyster. I can get anything I want. Well, as you strive to get that pearl and that oyster, realize there's some sharks in the water too. And uh, there are dangers in this world that will conspire to chew us up and spit us out. See, Jesus doesn't put a false front on life. That's one of the things I love about his teaching. Jesus is real. And there really are wolves out there. Uh, I was talking with my kids um, this week about something that was going on and something that we found out about uh, a person in our community, um, and they likely will be going to jail. Why? Because they were doing things that were terrible. 
And you just think, oh my goodness, how could this person do that? I'll tell you why. Because we're broken and there are wolves wanting to exploit people. That is real. And uh, one of the things that we need to understand is that Satan, who is our enemy, is really out to destroy our lives. There are wolves out there trying to get us. Thieves, robbers, wolves. This language that Jesus uses alerts us to real threats that seek to destroy what God wants to do in our lives and what God wants to provide in and through his son, Jesus Christ. But he also talks about hired hands. Did you notice that? Another way to talk about this in verse 13 is hired hands. These people who kind of carry you along and they're good, but they can't bear the same weight as the good shepherd. They're broken. They're hired. Not necessarily morally wicked. Simply don't provide the protection that the good shepherd provides. Think about things like retirement accounts or jobs that we bank on, or relationships, or even family, Instagram likes, being TikTok famous, then I will have my life complete. Prestige, money, reputation, all of these things are not necessarily morally bad. They just don't have the shoulders to bear the weight of our lives. They're hired hands. There's only one person that we can build our lives on, and that is the good shepherd. Second thing I wanted you to see from this passage is the good shepherd knows his own. We see this in verses 14 to 15. Notice Jesus talks about his own voice, the voice of Jesus, the voice of Jesus. He says, my sheep know my voice. I know my own. My own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now, Jesus is using shepherding imagery. Uh, When we see this story in the gospel of Matthew, one of the things we understand is Jesus is preaching and teaching in and around Jerusalem at this point in his ministry. And in and around Jerusalem, especially, I love going to Israel. Jill and I are leading a trip um, first week, I think, of December of this year. It's one of my favorite places to go. I've I've led a number of trips, uh, both academic and then, you know, more tourists. I love it. And so I've seen the regions that I'm about to describe, these shepherd's fields, and all the fields in and around Jerusalem that have shepherds and sheep. And so he's saying here, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own sheep, and they know my voice. And why is he talking about this? Well, in that day, it was so common to have flocks of sheep. And so the shepherd, what the shepherd would do, the shepherd, it's not like driving cattle, right? You drive cattle. That means you get behind them and drive them. Well, in those days, they didn't drive sheep. It's like herding cats. I mean, how are you going to do it, right? They, they didn't drive sheep. What the shepherd did is he would call, using his voice, calling his flock. He would call them to him, and he would lead the sheep. And then at night, what would happen would be is you'd have a bunch of these shepherds get together, And protect from lions in those days, or wolves, or even bears. What those shepherds would do is they would take brambles and thorns and bushes, and they would create in this Judean hillside, they would create these little enclosures in little grottos in the caves and the hills in the Judean 
wilderness there. And then they would leave this little space open right here. So you'd have bushes all around and bushes and thorns all around. And then there would be this opening right here. And at night, that shepherd would call to those sheep and lead them into safety. And then what that shepherd would do is he would lay down in that opening, literally as the gate for that little sheep pen. See, when Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd, my sheep know my voice, everybody understood what he was saying. He's like, oh, it's like that shepherd right over there. The guy who's calling to these sheep, and they're like, blah. They know the voice of the shepherd. And all these different shepherds would have these distinctive calls, and those sheep would follow that shepherd. The sheep knew the voice of the shepherd, and the shepherd knew the sheep. I want you to think about that for a minute. Do you think it's just accidental that Jesus is talking about this? No. What Jesus is driving home to you and me is Jesus knows us. Now, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I was really gifted with my wife, Jill. Uh, she is incredible. And uh, there are times in my life, um, maybe you're a little bit like me, maybe not. Maybe you kind of look at me like a science experiment, like what is wrong with him? But here's the reality. Uh, there were times early in our marriage when I didn't understand how I was feeling, right? How are you feeling? I don't know. Why? Because I grew up in a house full of boys. I have three brothers. And so we didn't talk about our feelings very much, as you can imagine. It was more like uh, my oldest brother, Brett, would throw me, you know? How are you feeling? I don't know. I'm flying through the air, you know? So I didn't talk about my feelings, but when I got married to Jill, she would help me process how I'm doing. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I don't know. Well, let's talk about that. Sometimes when you think about your own life, you don't know yourself as well as you might want to. And part of us becoming fully human in a relationship with the God who made us is coming to an awareness of who he's made us to be. Do you know why that happens? Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And when he says, I know my sheep, this is more than just, oh yeah, that's Bill, or that's Harry, or that's Jill, or that's Heath. Yeah, that, that's them. No, he knows us inside and out. He knows us. Some people view God as kind of the man upstairs, or maybe that he's uninterested in your life or mine. You might think that he's out there somewhere, but your cares or your concerns. He's got bigger fish to fry than your life. But do you notice how Jesus describes his care for his sheep? He says, I know my own. They know my voice. I know theirs. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to provide for them. He calls each of us by name. He knows us even when we aren't sure that we know ourselves. And then as we get to know Christ, what happens is we come to a fuller awareness of who we are and who he's made us to be. It's kind of like this, you know, have you ever been in a big crowd 
and a child hears her parents' voice. And they go running. Why? Mom, they know mom's voice. When mom calls out, the child comes running. If that's true in our family relationships, do you not know that's true in our relationship with the God who made us? So my friends, listen to me. You may feel this way, but you are not invisible. You are not unworthy. You are not without value. God knows you. He sees you. He's called you worthy, even worthy of the life of his son. He sees that you and I are of infinite value. He loves us and he wants to call us his own. And my friends, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then he knows you, he calls you, and you're in his family. Why should we care about Christ's voice? Well, because there's other voices out there calling to us, aren't there? There are other voices saying, and they might be in your own head, you're not worth anything. They're prettier than you are. They're smarter than you are. They've got more than you do. You're worthless. When you compare your life, my goodness, isn't this life so much better than yours? One of the things we see right now at OBU, and this is all across the country in, in colleges and universities all across the country, is the mental health of our students are in shambles. Part of it is social media, part of it is COVID, part of it is just the instability of the world. And one of our great gifts and opportunities is to remind our students once again, God loves them. They are worthy. Not because of what they've done, but because God has made them. Third thing I just want to mention is not only is the good shepherd good, not only does he know his children's voice, his sheep's voice, but here's the third thing. The good shepherd gives us life. Notice this. Gives us life. He says it in verse 11 and then in verses 17 and 18. The shepherd gives us life. How? He lays his life down for the sheep. Now, why do you think Jesus talks about this so much? Was well, it because of the shepherding imagery and he's laying down like the gate in front of the sheep pen? Yes. But more than this, this is one of those themes in the Gospel of John that shows up again and again. Jesus' purpose in living, listen to this, was dying so that he could be raised again to new life. Why? For you, for me, for the reconciliation and renewal of all things. Jesus gives us life through his death. He lays down his life for his sheep. This is one of the things that distinguishes Jesus from the hired hands. He doesn't just bail when life gets hard. He doesn't bail when a threat comes. Jesus sticks. He lays his life down. This language in the Gospel of John is distinctive. It literally is talking about his sacrifice. So when he's saying, I lay down my life for the sheep, in the Gospel of John, he's talking about his death and resurrection. Some people will say, well, I love the fact that Jesus is a wise teacher. He's like Yoda or Oprah. Excellent. He's not. 
Because only Jesus can do the things that Jesus does, namely laying down his life for the sheep. You and I can't do that. In other words, you and I cannot offer salvation. Why? Because we're not a perfect sacrifice. The God-man, Jesus Christ, is the only one who is worthy to bear our sins, stand in our place, visage the wrath of God, and come through on the other side. Only Jesus. So when he lays his life down for us, he gives us life that we can't otherwise have. This is Jesus. Why would he do this? Because Jesus isn't building an empire of power. He's building an empire of love. It's out of his love that he does this. The shepherd's death means our life. No one can save the sheep and give them back except the good shepherd. No one can bring dead people back to life except the good shepherd. Jesus saves. He protects by virtue of his death. He saves those Jews who believe in him as king. We see this in verse 15. He saves those who are not Jews, Gentiles, who believe in him as king, those other sheep that he mentions in verse 16. Jesus saves and protects his sheep. Now that's a great example, but we can't do what Jesus does. Only Jesus the king can do that. So here's my question to you as we uh, move to close. My, my, my basic question is, do you know this Jesus? Are you building your life on the good shepherd? Have you stepped across the line of faith and said, yeah, I want to follow him. Because broken saviors that we might have, they're not morally wrong. They just don't have the shoulders to bear the weight of your life or your death. Jesus does. Because he holds the keys to life and the keys to death. He defeated death. So as we follow him, we find meaning and purpose for this life and the life to come. And then I want you to think about this. If Jesus has loved us in this way, don't you know it's true that we ought also to love one another in a similar way? Think about Jesus' command in John chapter 15. This is my command, Jesus says. Love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Do you have that love? Do you want to live in this empire of love? Know the good shepherd. I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to pray over you. Our Father, we thank you that you have created an empire of love. We thank you that you are a good shepherd. Lord, help us to embrace you as good. Help us be reminded that you know us and you love us and you want to care for us. And Lord, help us to embrace the fact that you give us life. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.